My topic for today, and maybe it'll just be today, maybe it's going to be a series, I can't tell yet. Ten words the world hates. So at 20 minutes a word, you know, you might be here for a while. Now, probably not going to be that. Probably can cover some of those other words today. But I really, really got started working in this lesson, and you'll never guess how many words I covered. I partially covered the first one in my outline. So, you know, that's the problem with it. And, and so forth. And really the idea for, for this lesson comes from a, a colleague of mine who I respect very much. I think it was Gardner Hall. Just put out a list. He thought, what do you think about this? And he didn't have any more. So I thought, I think that's something to be worked with. But I would almost title it 10 things that the postmodern world hates. I thought about that. But you know, the problem of, that we're going to talk about this morning, and most of these words didn't start in our generation. It's been here from the beginning, and we can go to the Bible and see that these very things that we think are so new to us, that people won't uh, tell the truth and define truth properly, or whatever the case may be, they've been here for a long time. They, they just take different forms in different human societies. So let's go to the scriptures and start with a couple of basic things. I don't have up here John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you know that verse, but... And, and in that verse, we learned that the world here is human, human beings, humankind. And yes, God, God loves human beings, or he wouldn't have ever sought to save them. Does he approve of what they do? No. Is he going to save everyone that he loves? No. The answer is no to that. But I think the Bible's clear that God did love the world. And yet, on the other hand, we have scriptures like this from John, 1 John uh, chapter 5 and other places, where it says here, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. And that means the text, the tense of the verbs there does not continue in sin. It's a present tense word in Greek. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now here he, he divides us who are Christians that are known of God and know God from the rest of the world. And he says, the, we know, we know God and we know that we know are of God because we've started to follow him and we're, we're devoted to him. But the world lies under the sway or the influence of the wicked one. Some verses just say lies on, lie under the wicked one, under his power and control. And so it should not surprise us when we see what's going on around us in the world at large, not only in the United States, but in general in people's rejection of plain biblical truth and of their cruelty to each other and the devices that they make to have power over each other, all those. None of that should surprise us, and yet we seem surprised by it. But the whole world, from the beginning, lies under his influence. Now, I, without getting into great detail, I believe this is really un, falls under the idea of who Satan is. Satan is that great dragon the wicked one from the, he's the serpent of old, the Bible says, from the garden. Many different images. He's the adversary of God. And I believe that probably what has happened here, given what I learned in the book of Job, is that Satan was a created being like all the other angels. He may have been a high angel. We know from Jude 6 that all the different angels had their own habitations and places where they ruled their own realms of authority in the universe. And we don't know anything about that at all except that the Bible says that. 
and that some of and some of these people left some of these beings left their proper habitation where they were put they left their proper role of authority that God had given to them and they tried to be like God i believe the leader of all that was a probably a high angel named well we know him as satan i don't know what his name actually was i don't believe it's lucifer i don't think that's talking about satan there in that passage but people some people do in any event, he tries to be like God. And so here, but I believe the Bible also calls this angel, this wicked one, the prince of this world. The word prince means ruler. It means one who has authority. And so I believe originally God gave Satan authority over the earth in a good way. He said, this is your realm. You're going to watch over these creatures of mine and the earth itself. That's your realm of authority. Other angels were given other places to watch, other things to have authority in. But what Satan did with that, with that exalted role was to rebel against God and take it for himself. So from the beginning, he tried to take these creatures that God had made, Adam and Eve, for himself. He tried to take the earth for himself. And that's why it's not surprising that John would say that the whole world lies under the sway or influence of the wicked one. Because he's still the prince of this world. He hasn't been cast out yet completely. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. There's our word for the day. And we are in Him who is true and is in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It goes on to say, uh, well, I did repeat it again. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now I'm going to list these ten words out here. We're only going to cover the TR of truth. Not the whole world, maybe, but it's a lot to talk about when you talk about why the world hates the truth and what the truth is. And what the, you just, if you just type the word true or truth into a computer lexicon and you'll see how many hits you get where this is used true, truthfully, uh, all that, it, it's just innumerable in the hundreds in the New Testament. The first thing the devil hates, the world hates, is the word truth. Yeah. They spend most of their time subverting the idea today that there even is such a thing called truth. Even back 40 years ago, 45 years ago, when I was in college and studying philosophy, the whole idea of whether there is such a thing as absolute truth had been debated for decades and was being debated then. And even if there is such a thing as truth, can we even know the truth? How do you even, the Greeks debated how do you know what's true? Epistemology is that whole branch of philosophy about what is true. And so this has always been the problem of man. And that's because our whole existence involves living in a world that has been corrupted by this wicked one, as Jesus says, we'll see, who does not live in the truth. So everything we see, we're, 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 we question. We don't even believe it anymore. You know, that's a terrible feeling when you can't even hardly believe your own eyes and ears. You never know if anybody's ever telling you the truth or not. It wasn't always like that to the degree it is now in the United States. Gary mentioned on the radio this morning his dad was a contractor for his working career. His father was, and he was he did all this work for everybody. He never had a written contract with anybody. He just had his handshake. Now, that's a nice world to live in. I'm sure he got taken occasionally, but not that much. That world used to exist, young people. Daddy, tell me about the good old days. Remember that song? Well, there is a time when... A man's word was his bond. It doesn't exist anymore in the United States or much of anywhere. But it was for a short while, a flicker of light in human history. 
And the world hates the word fornication. You can't even use this word today hardly. No one knows what it means. I think they do know what it means. Did you know that something like 60% of evangelical Christians who are the conservative Christians think that having sex in a committed relationship, not married, is okay? 50% of of evangelical conservative Christians believe that having casual sex in relationships is okay. That's just among Christians. And of course, the the numbers are off the charts for everybody else. Fornication is just not something that people have much use for. It doesn't bother. What they're doing is not fornication. And it's not young people. It's not the young people. I know you all would think, oh, it's the young people. No, it's old people like me, my generation. Us old hippies now. We don't like to lose money for, to the government or have our tax status changed or we worry about whether our kids are going to get upset with us. So we just sleep with our girlfriends and boyfriends. Just live with them. It's not young people. In fact, younger people are, are becoming less and less likely to engage in fornication as it were. I know that's a shock, but just look up the numbers. And it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing to see. Repentance. How's that work in modern society? You think the world likes that word repentance? That is certainly one thing you got to do to turn to God. And that's why we hate that. If you won't repent, I don't care how many times you get dunked under the water, you're not a Christian and you will never stay one if you won't repent. The whole fundamental premise of becoming a Christian is to be born again into some new place, to be taken from that world to this world. And that will never occur except you repent. You will all likewise perish, Jesus says. Uh, They don't like the word modesty. That concept is completely gone. I'm on a a blog uh, marriage questions, questions for marriage. And it, it, it deals with sexual issues a lot from a Christian vantage point. And, and lately, they get, they get a lot of these questions that come in from just anybody. Is it okay if my wife and I practice nudity at the beach? Things like that. We've done it before. Is it okay if we have sex in public where people can see us? You know, there are things like that. These are coming into a Christian website about this subject. What do you think it is in the world? Well, we know what it is. You shouldn't even go there probably, but modesty is a concept that's completely forgotten. In fact, if I stood in this pulpit, I'm going to do it soon, uh, I've done it before, and talk about how people ought to dress, men and women, uh, people would be very upset with me about that subject and dismiss me just some kind of old gray-headed, gray-haired, two-headed monster, you know. They'd call me a pervert for saying women shouldn't dress a certain way. They'd be wrong. Men shouldn't, shouldn't act a certain way. They'd be wrong. Modesty involves more than dress, but it's a hard... Co- How about the co- concept of hell? You do a survey and you ask whether people believe in heaven or hell. 60, 70% of the people believe in heaven. 25% believe in hell, something like that. That's what they want. What does that reflect? That reflects us believing what we want to believe. Once again, it goes back to truth at the top. But if you look at the Bible, if any of you care about the Bible, I know you do, but if any of you listening care about the Bible, what you will find that there's one person in the Bible who talks more about hell by far than any other person in the entire Bible. And almost, and, and you know what? They put his words in red in a lot of Bibles. The, the verses about hell, almost every one of them are in red in a lot of your Bibles because Jesus is the one who talks about it. And yet Christians do not believe in it. Why? 
good question, isn't it? I've got the idea of somebody else of doing a, a class on the red letter verses. What do you think about that? Maybe a series of sermons on the red letter verses. I've always been a, kind of against that idea that all the verses in the Bible should be in red because Jesus is the author of all of them through the Holy Spirit. But maybe there's something to be said for a class maybe with your neighbors in your, in your neighborhood about the red letter verses because people really want to know what Jesus said. Well, here's the one subject that they don't want to know about what Jesus said. How about the word authority? No one likes authority. They don't like to talk about who has authority over somebody else. But the Bible says a lot about authority and our attitude about authority. And I think this possibly means in this context, authority for what we do in our own personal lives and in the work of the church. Do we have any authority from Christ to act a certain way or not act a certain way? What's the Bible say about that? And I think that's that's just off the charge. How about this word sin? It's banned from every psychological textbook or concept out there in the United States. Cannot talk about sin. If you mention sin, you will never be given a license to practice as a psychologist or a therapist. Because we don't want to hear about sin. And yet the Bible, from the beginning to the end, talks about sin and sinners. How to get out of sin. What sin looks like. The consequences of sin are completely, it saturates the Bible. Sin means missing the mark, not getting there, falling short, as it were, of the grace of God. And that way Paul puts it. And we don't want to do that because it, it upsets us to talk about how about salvation. You know, we say this so many times, you can't be saved unless you're lost. So salvation, really interesting, left goes across from repentance because those two things are pretty much related to each other. You want to be saved? Well, the problem is you first have to understand that you're lost. And people don't want to admit that. So salvation, how about self-control? Wow, that's a shocking word, self-control. There are people who won't eat bread and run 10 miles a day and all that, and they're very consistent in their uh, cardio routines every single day. But they would call me an utter fanatic because I go to church three times a week. Well, now two. My fanaticism has been cut into thirds, but... They call me a fanatic because I go to church three times a week. If they're not a fanatic for all the things they do to help their body, supposedly, and what they put in their body, self-control. That's a big one. And, and it's one thing I need more of, maybe more than anybody else in this audience. And then the word subjection goes with authority, I suppose. Are there people and things that are in subjection to others in the true nature of the universe, in, that, in its true nature? Yes, there are. But those are just a few of the words. Let's look at truth this morning. For a few minutes. <clears throat> the reason people have always muddled about, about this word truth and debated about is there such a thing as truth? How do I know what's true? Uh, what's true for me is not true for you or what's true for you is not true for me. The reason we muddle about like that is because the world hates truth because it's, it's anchored in God himself. The Bible is very clear, and we know this instinctively. The Bible is very clear about it, though, that God is the, is truth and what he says must of itself be true. And to most people, God represents accountability or authority. I see this as a preacher. I told somebody the other day about this. I see this as a preacher. When I, if I tell someone I just meet that I'm a preacher or, or whatever they want to call them, reverend or whatever, I don't say that, but they think I am. I can see 
a glass wall come between us. Sometimes it's more opaque than glass, not very dense, but a wall comes between us usually. Because as soon as they think I'm talking to someone who is related to God or cares about God, they feel this burden of accountability come upon them or responsibility. Or, or they would say judgment, even though I'm not judging them. They would feel judgment. And those are probably all good things to think about if you're thinking about God. When people in the Bible came close to seeing God, they fell down as if they were dead. Peter, when he saw one of Christ's miracles, said, fell down on the ground and said, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. He wouldn't even look up because he felt the weight of God's presence. So I understand that, that little bit, but it, it, it bothers me, it hurts me, and I, I, know, I understand it. But that's how the world relates to the fact that God himself is the author of truth. Now, it's been misused by religious people so much, being sinners themselves, that I understand how this happens. But what about just rejecting truth itself? You know, I'm not going to reject money just because some people misuse money. Are you? Oh, I don't want any of that dirty stuff because some people misuse it. Oh, really? Well, truth is the same way. Just because there are people that misuse the truth doesn't mean we don't need truth. The truth doesn't exist. How do you prove truth doesn't exist because there are people that misuse it? You've just proved the opposite. You know, here's an interesting verse. I don't know why I put this in. <laughs> Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hezekiah being the king, who was a good king, hear the word of the Lord. Behold the days, I, this is 2 Kings 20, by the way, in case you can't see this, verse 16. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. That's because Hezekiah showed these Babylonians all of his possessions. God says, it's all going to be taken away. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Not going to be kings, they're going to be eunuchs. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, it's interesting, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? I think some of us are kind of like that about the United States right now. All we're thinking is, well, it's pretty bad, but I'll be dead soon. Um, is that what he said? This is a interest. Is this not interesting? Why is this in the Bible? I think it just shows part of human nature. We don't think beyond our own self and how it affects us. And he's, he says, well, at least it's not going to get in me. What about your children and grandchildren? Those people that you love. Do you care about them? Uh, do you care that there will be peace and truth in their days? And I understand why well, we can't fix that problem, but we ought to care whether there's peace and truth in the country that we live in, in the days of, in our days and the days beyond. And in some limited way, maybe we can do something about that. You know, Psalm 96, you, you just go back. I put in truth and all those variants in, the, in my search engine. Oh, I couldn't even begin to, to cover all those verses that talk about this subject. And, it, and then there's many that talk about the subject, but don't use the word truth, as we'll see. He is coming, Psalm says. He is coming to judge the earth. There it is. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with what? It's truth, his truth. It's embedded in God's nature. Psalm 117, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The reason the truth of the Lord endures forever because it's part of him. 
His character, his nature is what gives life to the whole universe. And what he did is true. What he said is true, always will be. And so when we look at what God did in the world in his creation, we can see truth. And we'll come to that in some of the other subjects. The truth about marriage, for example, is found as much as anywhere else in what he did in creation. Because that comes from his own nature. His own word puts this forth. So th- those who believe the Bible, if you believe the Bible, you have to be wedded to the idea that the Lord is truth and his words are true. It doesn't mean you understand the truth all the time. It doesn't mean that you live the truth, but at least understand the principle that, that, that that's what's there. That's what you're seeking. What is, and what does truth mean? Well, it means that which corresponds to reality. Something's a lie because it doesn't correspond to what actually happened. And therefore, it's not true. But when something that's being said or done corresponds to what is real, then it's true. And there's very, very meanings of that. And, and the, the pagan Greeks understood this. The Roman philosophers understood this idea. And they, we debate various aspects of this. Even Proverbs gives us advice about this. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. There's something that can forsake a person, truth. You begin to lie and live a certain way and you begin to deceive yourself. Well, some liars are deceived themselves and some liars aren't deceived. I've met both kinds. I've met liars who don't realize they're really lying and they've deluded themselves and thinking what they're saying is the truth when it isn't. Then I've met other liars who lie in a bald-faced way. They know what they're saying isn't true and they just want to convince you that it is. And as long as they do that, they think that's fine. You, you know those kind of liars, both kinds? They're there. He says to this Young man, don't not let truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. The true things. Now, we could spend weeks talking about the, what God has said about the world itself and about mankind that is true. That's not within the scope of this lesson. Maybe it should be, but it's not. To talk about what God made, talk, told about the, the nature of man, the nature of the world, all those things. You can learn this in the Bible about man's nature. The, that's one of the reasons I believe the Bible. As a young man, I rejected some of it, but, but I'll tell you what, I, one of the reasons I believe it, when I look at what other people, other religions, other things wrote about human beings, I know that they're not true. What modern man says about man is not true. Either that he's just a genetic machine, or some people say he's hopeless, can't, has nothing redeemable about him. Neither one of those positions is true. Religiously or in secular ways. What the Bible says about man is true. Man is noble and good, but he's corrupted by his own lusts and desires. That's true. That's what I see. So I believe men are depraved. I don't believe they're totally hereditarily depraved, though, because the Bible doesn't teach that. So you can learn truth, and you see this what about man himself. He who speaks truth declares righteousness. Righteousness is the idea of being straight with God. It's putting an edge on something and you line things up according to the edge. That's this word righteousness. So when you speak the truth, you are doing what is righteous. But a false witness, deceit. Now here we learn that human beings have some control over how they interact with the truth. God is true, a truthful person, a being. We can be true or deceitful. We can have long discussions about what's a lie, what's not a lie, but we all know what deceit is when we intend to deceive people. And he says here, a a false witness brings deceit. Does it matter what you say? 
in any case in life, in court or anywhere else. Well, our, our country seems to think it does at least a little bit in its court system. You can be charged with perjury and make you swear on a Bible and hold your hand up and say, tell the truth and all that kind of thing. But in reality, a lot of people don't take that very seriously because there's not many consequences for it. We see a lot of our public officials. They do completely illegal, reprehensible things. And what happens to them? Nothing. Nothing happens. What does that tell the common people? I can do the same thing because nothing will happen. Of course, now something will happen to you. Now, I don't mean this to be totally political, but there are a lot of people in jail right now for doing less than what Hillary Clinton did when she was Secretary of State. And that can be said of a lot of politicians in both parties. That's not truth. Those are lying witnesses being put forth. People will not tell the truth about anything. And, and this is why this idea that some of you have, let's throw all the bums out. Well, what you're going to do is put more bums right back in because there's nobody to pick from. Who are you going to pick from when a whole nation is corrupted? If the people are corrupted and won't tell the truth and won't live honest lives, how are you going to find anybody to elect that's not corrupted? It can happen, but it's not easy. And then once they get elected, everybody around them is so corrupted, they have a hard time staying clean. That's what the, that's the problem we got. The problem we got doesn't come from Washington. It comes from right among us. Because we won't teach our children that lying is wrong and not telling. We teach them, get ahead, do everything you can. You even got mothers and fathers and all of our elite places, uh, lying to get their kids in elite schools. A couple of them paid the price for that, but more of them did not pay the price. It's corrupt. And I'm, I'm frightened that God sees this and realizes there's not much hope for that to get better. Because there's a lot of reasons why people lie. Here's what Jesus said about it. Pharisees and Sadducees were there. And he's teaching them and they don't get it. He says, why do you not, some versions say, hear my speech? Where hearing and understanding are the same word most of the time. So to hear the gospel means to understand it in this case. But do you not understand my speech? John 8, 43. Because you are not able to listen to my word. You won't even give it thought what I'm saying. You won't let it get past your ears to try to understand what I'm saying. Why? You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Here's that wicked one the whole world lies in. He speaks from his own resources for he's a liar and the father of it. But I, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. He's pretty hard on these people. But I think this is the human, common human problem. I, I've seen a lot of people, they, they come to me, I don't, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe this and that, and the other, believe in God. And when I talk to them a little bit, I remember once Pella specifically, in many cases like this, his wife, acquaintance who I, who I knew, I knew his mutual friend. Why don't you talk to this fellow because he's uh, he doesn't believe in the Bible? Okay, I'll talk with him. And so we sat down to talk, and I had all my resources how you can believe the New Testament because of all of the uh, manuscript evidence and all this scientific stuff. We talked about that for ten or fifteen minutes, and basically he looked up and said, "Yeah, I've been having an affair." Losing my business, losing my marriage, because I've been committing adultery. Why, would, why was that fellow an unbeliever? I'll tell you what he would tell you. 
He was an unbeliever because he didn't like what the Bible said about what he was doing. He knew he was wrong. And you can't keep believing in God and talking about God, believing in God, if you know that you're a sinner and the weight of that your conscience is on you. Now, thankfully, he had a conscience. That man today is an elder in the Lord's church, an exemplar to many other people, a good man. But he had to come to grips with the fact the reason he rejected God is because he didn't want to do what God said. That's the whole problem with our country. We don't want to do what God says in our personal lives and therefore God doesn't exist. I see, and it's sad. I sound angry, I'm not angry. I'm sad about that. You know, the scriptures picture this in 2 Thessalonians. Now, we can discuss the context, but look at the, the analogy here. He talks about the coming of this lawless one who is according, is according to the working of Satan. Here's that Satan again. With all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteousness, deception, unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Why do they perish? Why are they deceived? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. If you don't love the truth, you can't be saved. Amen. And you will be prayed. If that gets very severe, you'll be prey to every kind of deception. The self-deception that people put themselves under. That, oh, God wouldn't judge me because I'm a loving person. I work at the homeless shelter, so it's okay if I do this, this, or this. Because I'm a good person. The lies we tell ourselves. And he says, for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. that They should believe a lie. And when you go down this pathway of not believing what the truth is, because you don't love the truth, God will send you other things in your life that happen that will keep pushing you further away. That they all might be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, now here's what he links. He doesn't link up the fact that I have a hard time understanding how God can make the world in six days. He doesn't say that's their problem. He says the problem with these kind of people is they have pleasure in unrighteousness. They want to do, as Jesus says, the will of their father, the devil, and therefore they don't believe the truth about what Jesus says about the world. A lot of people that you meet, not all, but a lot, some people have true intellectual questions that ought to be answered, and that's what I try to do with my friend and continue to do this day. But what you find in many of them, it isn't about that. When I meet an atheist, a true atheist that wants to debate me, and I've had a few debates with a few, I always ask them this question. You've heard me say this before. So what's your story? They always have a story. The real ardent atheist does. Even the famous ones that you know, like like Dawkins, I think it is. His sister died when she was young and he couldn't understand why. They always have a story like that where God let them down. And so now they fight against God all the time because they don't want to believe the truth because they've got a personal vendetta or it's because, as Aldous Huxley said, they want to be liberated sexually and morally to do what they want to do. It's very clear. Now, we can avoid that. So, oh, man, oh, my God. Oh, the terrible news. I'm on slide 14 of 22. It's past time to stop. We're going to talk about this real briefly, and we will stop this morning. And I didn't even get to this. something I was going to read you. This is my fault. This is very unprofessional. So, it's a good thing because I'm not a professional. But anyway, Oxford chose post-truth as the word of the year for 2016. It's a term that describes a situation in which feelings trump facts and indicates 
relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. That's what Time Magazine said about it. We live in a post-truth culture that says my personal emotions and feelings about something will trump anything else you can say. That's true of a lot of different people, different political beliefs. It's certainly true in the way that our media relates to us today. And they know, they know this is true about us, and so they present emotions. They show us pictures like children in cages that have been going on for years before that, but now all of a sudden it's this person's fault because children are in cages. They show us a picture to make us upset, and they know that our emotions will carry us away and to believe whatever, whatever they want us to believe. They manipulate us, manipulate us like this. And if the other political party was in power, I don't have any doubt that that would be true too sometimes. But we have to live in a society where what actually is real and actual conforms to what is actual facts is what we base our decisions on. But this post-truth idea has a lot to do with the idea that people have come to believe philosophically for two or three generations or more that there's no way to understand what is true. You can't ever, even if there is an objective truth or absolute truth, no one could ever understand it. And they'll give you the illustration of the Hindus guys holding the elephant. One by the trunk, one by the left. You ever heard that? Yeah, that's what I was taught in high school. We'll come back to that later. To show you that you really, I got taught that 50 years ago in high school. So it's been going on for a while that you really can't ever know what's true. Is that what the Bible says? That we really don't ever know what's true? I reject that notion even though I don't know a lot of stuff because I know the Bible doesn't teach that I can't know what's true. Especially about things that make all the difference in the world. So our time is gone today. I want you to understand that the reason the world hates some of these ideas that we've looked at, among them first one being true, is because the world is, lies in the power of the wicked one. And that's what Jesus came to correct. He came to correct the fact that you live in a world which is under the sway of this wicked one. And he came to bind this wicked one and cast him away forever. And you can, you can begin that process in your life by becoming a new creature following Christ. And you'll have the, the, the darkness lifted off your face, off your eyes. You'll be able to see and understand the world through Jesus Christ. We'd like to help you with that today. If you're not a Christian, the Bible says you need to repent of your sins, turn away from the way you've been living, and come and live a different kind of life. God will help you do that. Jesus Christ will give you the power to do that. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And if you were willing to do that, we can help you do that this very morning. And start a new life. Put it all behind you. Be clean. Be regenerated. Be a new man. New woman. And if you're already a Christian, you've wandered away, been deceived, Come back and tell the truth about yourself. That's what confess means. Just the word confess means to tell the truth. I've not been doing what's right or I'm wrong. I need to fix that. And we can help you fix that this morning by praying with you and God will forgive. Can we help you today? Come right down to the front row. Let's stand and sing.